0: Black Panther director Ryan Coogler sat down for a wide-ranging conversation in a one-night only event, presented by Film Comment and supported by Art House Convergence. Watch the entire conversation with Coogler at filmcomment.com/slash Black Panther.
1: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Ripold and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. Our new January-February issue is now out with our lists of the best films of 2018. But we also wanted to give some love to the movies that didn't appear on our top 10 or top 20 lists. These are movies that maybe just didn't get enough votes to crack the top ranks, or maybe movies that don't leap to mind when making a list of the year's masterworks. But we still enjoyed them, so we each picked one or two to share with you. I brought together Michael Koreski and two colleagues in the programming department at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, Maddie Whittle and Tyler Wilson. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, Now we're going to do a special episode. You've heard about the best of 2018. Now we'll talk about the rest of 2018. I don't actually mean bad movies. That might sound like the rest, like the remnants or the leftovers or something. But this is just in the spirit of how lists often leave out as much as they spotlight. So we're just going to talk about movies that we liked but didn't happen to be voted upon by elite liberal critics. So we'll... <laughs> Which is not what we are at all. <laughs>
0: far from it.
1: Far, far from it. Um, we're neocons. Uh, this is a neoconservative podcast. We're going to be re- Relitigating the Iraq War shortly, but first, the rest of 2018. I am um, very pleased to be joined by
2: Tyler Wilson, programming associate at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Uh, Michael Kreski, I'm director
3: of editorial and creative strategy at Film Society of Lincoln Center.
0: I'm Maddie Whittle, I am the programming assistant at Film Society of Lincoln Center.
1: And all of us are Film Comment contributors. That's right. We are, and I'm Nick Rupole, the editor in chief of Film Comment. I forgot to say that, and. Basically, we've we've all gone away and and thought of little movies that we're going to talk about. Actually, sometimes not so little as you'll see. Who wants to start? Who wants to to save some movie from the oblivion that occurs if it is not on a list?
0: I guess I'll start. I you know there's it's been it's been quite a process compiling thinking back on all the films that have come out this year and the ones I've seen and what the best are. And I, I submitted my list of film comment and there was a fair amount of overlap between my own personal list and the official list of the best 20 films of the year. But
1: yeah, we tried to correct that. Yeah. yeah, Unfortunately, people insist on having different opinions.
0: (laughs) And, but there were some, uh, there were some titles there that I have not seen on uh, many of the lists that have been circulated. So one that I want to highlight as the year draws to a close is Tully, which came out um, earlier in the year. I didn't actually see it in theaters. I didn't see it until a few months later. Jason Reitman's written by Diablo Cody, directed by Jason Reitman. Uh, It's another collaboration uh, between the two of them and Charlize Theron, who stars. And it is a movie that I didn't know much about going in. I knew it was about a frazzled mother of young children who uh, gets a new uh nanny uh Mm -hmm. who comes to her family and and beyond that i didn't know what to expect going in and it left me pretty overwhelmed it's a it's a beautifully acted modest scope of a film at least as a woman in my late 20s no kids a career thinking towards a future which I might have kids it was, a, it was a, a really emotional ride and I think it I think that's largely testament to Charlize Theron's performance also Mackenzie Davis who plays the nanny character um and I don't I haven't talked to many people about it so I don't know what the sort of consensus on this film was but it uh I'm sorry that more people aren't talking about it now as we reassess the year in films.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm really glad you, you brought that, uh, that film to the table. I, 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 saw it on a plane. I caught up with it on a plane and I, I liked it a lot as well. I guess I, I what you said about being like a modest movie, it, it really is because it doesn't try to, it doesn't try to, you know, put Shirley Theron's character forth as some kind of, you know, hero for, 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 for she just kind of, presented in full.
0: In some ways she reminds me of uh the heroine of another one of my favorite movies this year, which has made it onto more lists, which is Private Life, which also stars a, a flawed, uh, but deeply lovable lead woman character. Um in Private Life's case, it's a woman who's trying to become a mother. And in uh Tully's case, it's a woman who is a mother. And they're you know, sort of two sides of the same coin, I think. Just Difficult women.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also just like that she was tired all the time. Yeah. I just. <laughs> Can you relate yeah. to that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just very honestly, she's just exhausted for like most of the movie and is, is just very open about being very tired. And I thought that's like the most realistic thing I've seen in a movie <laughs> in yeah. a long time.
0: Yeah. I
3: think we all feel really exhausted at the end of 2018. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen Tully yet, I have to say. Um, I will... Completely admit the reason for that is because I just cannot stand movies by Jason Reitman. Even the ones that are supposedly good, I think yeah. are terrible. Yeah. However, I've heard from so many reliable sources that this is a really interesting film that I will check it out. And thank you for recommending it and reminding me because yeah. Jason Reitman also had a movie at the end of the year that was supposed to be the Oscar bait movie.
0: That's right. That everyone thought was runner. just
1: junk. Apparently, did
3: anyone in this room seen the front runner with Hugh Jackman?
1: I did. As Gary Hart, I saw it at uh, a Union Square preview. Was it indeed junk? Is <laughs> the word that I probably shouldn't have used? It, it's it's just it's just a movie that's so just kind of feels middle of the road and and um, just you know has is, is take is like nothing is, feels really at stake in the movie despite being framed as like a movie of the moment you know yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say that it's.
3: Interesting, without having seen either of them, <laughs> that they put forward the kind of middle-brow, middle-of-the-road, male-oriented mm-hmm. movie about politics and masculinity as the Oscar movie to come out at the end of December, and it, it just failed. And Tully, which is a female-driven film about um, motherhood, yeah, is like... What does it get like a February or March release? Never considered a movie that would be in an awards conversation. They just kind of dumped it, and that's kind of how things tend to be with the awards season.
0: Yeah, and it's disappointing because it is an unusual movie. I mean, it's not breaking boundaries in terms of its formal uh, ideas, but it is, you know, it's got a twist that I think packs a a huge emotional punch and is very well executed with the performances and uh, sort of canny in its writing and its construction and it's not it's not an Oscar Beatty movie and so it was sort of passed over and it's just a shame and I'm maybe you know it suggests that maybe we should rethink or the industry should rethink what might be worthy of recognition
1: yeah I whole wholeheartedly agree yeah they might be starting to do that yeah (laughs) One, well, one more
3: thing I wanted to say about Tali actually mm-hmm. was, though I haven't seen it, I am a fan of Mackenzie Davis based on other things. She was in this great Black Mirror episode. Yeah,
0: Sanji Napero. Which is
3: extraordinary. And um, I also saw her for the first time in this small thriller, th- the uh, thriller ish indie, Sun Don't Shine.
0: hmm. She oh, yeah. really stood I like out. I that in one. That. Yeah. She really stood out. Unless Amy, I'm Amy,
3: Amy Simons. getting that confused. Simons? But that's what it's yeah. called, right? Directed? Yeah, Amy Simons' film. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 she was wonderful in that. Yeah. She's striking. She's really. Yeah. So the, I yeah. heard she was in this, and that was
1: another thing that was going to
2: yeah.
3: get
1: me to watch it. Even people who haven't seen Tully love Tully.
0: That's though. right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can use that as a pull quote. People who are listening, who are press <laughs> agents. Tully. So what's, what's, what's another unsung gem that we've dug out of the rubbish bin of history?
2: Uh, I think the logical film is Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> um, it's just go on by logic. <laughs> yeah. uh, little talked about, modest film. Um, no, I, I think um, obviously people are talking about this and it's, it's going on many lists. It did not make it on the film comment uh, list, but um, I think seeing it, and I saw it in the theater and Uh, I think on a purely reactive, uh, visceral level, I think the film is absolutely thrilling. Uh, For it being the sixth in its franchise and maybe being the most insane, ridiculous iteration, uh, it's just simply about Tom Cruise trying to uh, get plutonium um, while also convince IMF that he is indeed loyal. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's basically the plot, but I think like what's really astonishing about the film is how as insane as it is, it is constantly reminding us or trying to convince us of its authenticity because of how real this, you know, it's it reminding us of a time of filmmaking when we could admire stunt work and in-camera effects, uh, and I, I don't know, I, I think that is, to do that in 2018 so earnestly, you know, not so ironically, shot on 35. Uh, It's not a very smarmy film, but really uh, uh, very fun and and kind of earnest and knows kind of how ridiculous it is, is, I don't know, I think commendable. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had fun. One of the few
3: films that I went to see this year. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds ridiculous. (laughs) It's one of the few films that I went to, that I paid to go see in a multiplex this year. There are very few Hollywood films that I could bring myself to go to. What did you say? <laughs> Pirating movies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everything I watch is bootlegged. <laughs> yeah. People who read my reviews should know that.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't steal a car. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, no, but it really was um, a great experience. I hadn't, I hadn't seen um, a Mission Impossible film in a while, and it kind of, so I wasn't necessarily following all of the twists
2: well, and turns because they were, they were referring to some things that well, I believe I happened actually, in the last film, even but, but I hadn't seen Rogue Nation, which is the film that preceded it, Right. And- you think I got it? I think like, I, I was it. I think it, it, like, it yeah. does a pretty good job of like basically like you can watch this film in a vacuum as far as the franchise goes and still kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, there were but,
3: characters who popped up in the in yeah. kind of the third act who are, obviously they were referring to big events that happened previously, but you can kind of you know, yeah fill in the gaps yourself. I just really also loved the fake out cold open. It was kind of brilliant. Yeah,
2: it's it's really reminding us of the cinema of attractions. <laughs> yeah. I
0: I have not seen it yet. Uh, Fallout but I I do want to say that I think it ties with A Star is Born as having the best trailer of the year as, because I saw that trailer a few times in theaters over the course of the year and every single time it like got my heart beating. It was just, like, <laughs> there's bones. something really magical about that trailer and I don't know. I mean I, I hope that it translates to the film. I still need to see it. But.
3: I never saw the trailer because I wasn't <laughs> going to the multipliers for a long time. Yes we've been over this. And <laughs> I don't watch trailers online. I can't oh, stand them. I love trailers. However, Star is Born must have been more ubiquitous because I did see that trailer over and over and over again. Mm. I think when I saw, um, what was the Brett, the Blake Lively movie that everyone loves? A Simple Favor. Oh,
0: yeah.
3: I saw okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the theater to see that. I'm just throwing that in there. Wait, is that good? It was enjoyable. It's a bit overpraised by certain, like, high-low critic types. Oh, okay. I see. You know, the critics who like to kind of stand in the middle. So and neither the love best nor the rest. Um, no, but I enjoyed Blake Lively's costumes a lot. They're terrific.
1: Yes, I've heard much about those costumes. My choice, unless... I was just going to chime in that I had a delightful time watching Mission Impossible, as I do all movies on a plane. <laughs> and it was that's exclusively where I watch movies. I find it's the most <laughs> bona fide and accurate to the filmmaker's intentions is to walk, watch it on the back of a chair. Is really how most of them filmed them to be made. This is how Rome I'm the only is one seeing yeah. a film in a theater so far. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I the cinema of attractions. That's that's really f- a fun idea because I thought I was thinking of like he just has this vision of um, what's his name again, Christopher McQuarrie. Christopher McQuarrie of of the screen really is this fun box mm, where he's just yeah. gonna flip, you know, he's he's gonna flip Tom Cruise around around like it's a like a you know. I don't want to invoke like Jacques Tati, but there I did. But just like he just moves <laughs> yeah. him around the frame, and it's just very interesting. And 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 all the action has that feel to it. Um, I mean, other people have already ranted about you know losing, not having like a physical continuity to action. Now um, this basically does, while still being totally absurd. Yeah, um, and and the the literal cliffhanger, at, you know, at the end is is just so much fun. Also, just it's this he's using the verticals in an interesting way there, like they're going down. The, and I don't know the way that unfolds is very exciting.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're constantly admiring the like the craft. Yeah, that's involved, um, and it is so intelligent because it makes it seem so simple.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it was
2: probably a modest budget.
1: I'm sure. I yeah. You you could you you know. I'm sure they all just kind of pitched in, worked for scale. <laughs> Tom Cruise bought brownies for everyone. Well, he did his own stunts. He did his yeah, own stunts, so they this. didn't pay a stunt, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he even set his own bones afterwards. Um, <laughs> sorry to interrupt Michael. You
3: were No, to. no. Um, my next it's on a slightly different scale from Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout, though a film that I'm gonna talk about later is is, is on a larger scale, comparable perhaps. Um, I wanted to bring up Bisbee seventeen. Which is Robert Greene's documentary made in Arizona. Uh, I don't know if everyone have people in this room been able to see it. Um, it's I, I really it's one of those things where you kind of go in knowing what to expect if you're if you're familiar with Robert Greene's work. But then I didn't quite know what to expect once it once it got moving. Um, he he often makes films that are about the you know slippery boundary between um you know fiction documentary and um you know even talking about mission impossible just now Tyler. you're talking about you know, a movie that calls into question its authenticity and um bisbee 17 is about this horrifying tragedy that happened um an, out, an outrage more than a, tra- a tragedy Then um 1917 these striking these striking copper miners were rounded up by the town run um, by the local sheriff and kind of run out of town, dropped in the New Mexico desert to die. And in In is, train cars. They were, in, weren't they put in train cars? And yes, less, yeah. rounded up, with men with guns, put in train cars, carted out to the desert and left to die, where they did. This is not a history that has been written about much and even the people in the town today know kind of what happened. And oddly, uh, on the one hundredth anniversary, there's a commemorative <laughs> recreation of the event where the town is casting locals and doing this kind of um exorcism in a sense of you know, how a way of dealing with the ghosts of this. And so Robert's movie is um tying all these dis- disparate threads together, following actors who are taking part, interviewing locals, interviewing actors who are. Playing locals. I mean, it's really um, kind of like a multi-pronged thing, and as it goes along, you kind of get to know the history while you get to know the people involved in the recreation, and while you're watching it, I mean you know, having seen his films like Kate Plays Christine, an actress, where he's kind of always doing these meta games, and um, Kate Plays Christine was the Christine Chubbuck film, where about a woman who had killed herself on camera, but um, no actual footage exists of this. So it's all based on hearsay and uh, people's kind of faulty memories. And this has a similar thing going on where he's trying to excavate tragedy and horror um, of for things that don't exist and things that haven't been documented on a much larger scale. Um, but as it goes along, it just accrues in power. And I, I, I have to admit while I was watching, I didn't know if I was buying the concept. It seemed maybe overly conceptual as a way of dealing with these events, but by the end, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was nearly in tears watching this. There's something so incredibly powerful about the scenes at the end where the, where the actual reenactments start to happen. And then afterwards, the people involved, the locals who were in, who are cast, especially who are cast as the policemen, um, their ways of dealing with it and talking about and reckoning with it is frightening because they're like, wow, you know, just taking part in this, I suddenly see how awful this must have been. It's like, this is how people are until, unless it gets into their lives, they have no empathy and they have no understanding uh, about how the world works and how tragedies come about and how genocide happens. So I don't know, by the end of the film, I felt despairing in, 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 a, in a productive way, in the pr- productive way that art should be. Um, and the title itself, you know, great title, Bisbee 17. He's clearly talking about 2017 as much as 1917. And it just hits on every level that it's intended to, and um, I highly recommend it. Obviously, it's about class. Obviously, it's about race. Um, he, He follows this one principal figure, his name is Fernando, who's the queer son of a Mexican immigrant. And he is also taking part in, in as playing one of the strikers. And it's about his own experiences with it and kind of coming to terms with how his mother was deported. It's really um, a multi-layered experience that most you know, documentaries, quote unquote, can't really get to um, because they're so stuck in facts and Presenting things as they thought that they are or are supposed to be, so I do recommend people see it. I don't think it's available right now. I could be wrong.
0: It was it Film Forum, wasn't
3: it? It was at Film Forum.
1: I don't. I don't. I don't know when it will be available for home viewing. But I think. I think. I think it is. I forget where. Consult our home movie section. And see if it's oh, in good. The, the listings of one of our recent issues.
3: I know it's kind of like a self-released movie too, so I don't think I don't really know who's handling what. But oh, it's really right. powerful.
1: Yeah, I, it's 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 also kind of an interesting hybrid of a couple of kind of subgenres of documentary. One being not genre, but just like type I don't know, category of movies that have come out, which are documentaries about villages that have some weird. Thing they do <laughs> regularly, like they mm. put on a drama or or something like that, um, or I don't know, like spettacolo, right. like something like that. So that's this, but it's 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 sort of brought to them, and, and then they can deal with it. Combination of that with, I mean, any number of movies where it's it's you know getting people to kind of live through or, or reckon with um, some historical atrocity. <laughs> um, but they're ordinary people. They're not like. I mean, ordinary in the sense that they're not like the prime actors or agents in history. Um, but the movie also does a good job showing that you are, everyone's an agent in history because you're making it live or die by mm. whether you're aware of it and, and whether you're leading your life in accordance with what you're aware of in terms of the reality around you and how it got to that point. Right. Um, so, yeah, very emotional experience. That, that sort of, for me, too, kind of crept up on me by by, by the end. Um yeah
3: yeah the, it it does come together because you you're aware that he's doing he's kind of there's there's something tricky about the film right and if yeah. I'm constantly being asked by a film like what's real and what isn't and i it, it almost it can feel like a game yeah. um whereas this it it turned out to be so so very much more and I'm sure it was quite a thing to edit because yeah. it, it really there's so much happening
1: well Robert green also a Editor Much in Demand.
3: So. Yes, he, he edits the Alex Ross Perry films as well. And I thought Her yeah. Smell, coming out next year, which I may have talked about if it was a tw- officially a 2018 film. That's a brilliantly edited movie. Oh,
1: yeah, that's true. So, Nick, uh, what's yours? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm, I've am i been caught unawares. I hope it's not a cop-out, but I kind of wanted to talk just generally about some comedies that I saw, again, on a plane, which is the only place I, saw, <laughs> I, I actually will agree to see movies, which makes press screenings a little difficult, but people have been kindly very accommodating, um, even if it's just arranging a short shuttle trip so I can watch something. Um, in this case, um, I, I liked this sort of trio of films. I laughed. Maybe it was The Oxygen Deprivation. I'm not sure. Um, Game Night, um, uh, The Spy Who Dumped Me, and tag. Um, the movie on everyone's lips tag the, yeah um, yeah it's literally a, a movie you find yourself saying and before you know it you're done saying it um, that's my pull quote for that film uh, and and I guess I I you know these are not perfect movies um, I mean but uh, I don't know each had something a little something to offer game night I thought just had. Pretty good, you know, comic timing just between uh, the, the the two leads, um, Jason Bateman, who, to be honest, I'm, I really have difficulty stomaching lately. I mean, just the the <laughs> I, weird layers of self-conscious smarm um, that. Are performed but not perform, and now I can't tell the difference. And does he know that the mask has welded to his face? I'm not sure. <laughs> He's the Oni Baba of American sitcom actors. <laughs> he is indeed. Um, he, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, Rachel Rachel McAdams. McAdams, thank you. Who is I'm fantastic? So haunted by him, it's Oni Baba right there. <laughs> I couldn't even. <laughs> Um, but, <laughs> but yes, Reg McAdams is really fantastic. She's amazing. Movie. She's so I love amazing. Her always. Yeah, uh, yeah, me, me too. And 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 I think she made him kind of, I don't know, worthy in it. Um, I don't know. Just I think when <laughs> they're taking the bullet, this is talking about comedies. It's always like you know that part where they're taking the bullet out. <laughs> that was really funny. That was like, uh, but no, just it's like this split second thing and the way it, they're kind of, you know, underplaying it and then um you know the cell phone aspect to it is funny i don't know
0: i i just caught up with game night <laughs> oh, yeah. and i think that their their comedic chemistry really makes the movie i think that they play off each other really well and their their characters are punchlines in and of themselves just because yeah. i mean they're the, they're the heroes but they're also yeah you know make themselves ridiculous in a variety of different ways and they do they're great they're just completely
2: yeah yeah. I saw, I I also sat on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I would agree I would extend it to the, the entire ensemble. I yeah. think they're all they all like fit well together. They That's it, true. It, it feels Yeah, like uh they get each other's sense of comedy and sense of humor and yeah. so they're playing well off each other um in this really very violent film. It is surprisingly that, violent. Yeah. And
0: which is captured very well in the trailer in oh, is the um, it? <laughs> yeah. the scene when you you see one of the bad guys get sucked into the plane That's propeller. That's in the trailer? It's in the trailer and you see Rachel McAdams sort of go, yes! And then, oh no, he died! Which is a beautiful little commentary on violence in comedy. That
3: was great delivery. uh, For you and for H. McAdams. But honestly, I I cannot believe that's in the trailer. I remember that so vividly because it's the last thing that happens in the movie. It's the
0: very end of the movie. The whole movie, I was like, when is that going to happen? Did they cut that? Because it's so memorable from the trailer. It's
1: actually just a tragic outtake from production that happened.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They left it in. I did not see it on a plane. However, it was one of the rare movies that... My husband and I rented while having a Friday night at home alone, which is Aww. which is not a thing that happens a lot. So we're flipping through iTunes. What are we gonna rent? Let's watch something light. You can't can't be Bisbee every night. <laughs> <laughs> and we happened upon game night, and we actually had a pretty good time watching it. It is kind of like David Fincher's the game <laughs> as a comedy, yeah. right? Yeah. I right. mean it's it's you're constantly it's it sets it up, it sets itself up as a game, and it gives you the parameters to a certain extent, but then you you're constantly wondering, Am I is is what I'm watching real? Is it part of the game or not? Is it part of the game? Yeah. I guess Existenz is kind of like that as well. Yes. <laughs> so <Yeah>. many connections for it's a game night. I, I have to say, like the more it goes on, the kind of more wearisome it gets with most yeah. action comedies where it's like this would have been a nice short. Right. But I did like the setup and and Rachel McAdams taking that bullet out. I mean, it that's a great scene with the bullet. It it's is. a really
1: funny scene. Yeah, kind of making fun of also making fun of like whole action movies where someone's taking out a bullet. I don't know. It's something about that line where she has to check her phone and she has to use her nose to scroll <laughs> through it. like a dolphin she says or something like that.
0: And um, doesn't Jason Bateman tell her to do it some other way, I can't yeah. remember <laughs> what his solution is. But just, yeah. no, this is the right way. Is, I'm gonna do it this way. Just wiki, wiki it. Yeah.
1: I, I, but yeah, I mean, you know, there are things I don't. It's funny with comedies; it's always such a, I don't know, mixed bag. But I, I, the policeman who's played by
0: Jesse Plemons.
1: Jesse Plem Plemon, who's Another favorite, who's in in Vice, and I don't know. I, that was definitely something that I got weary of making fun of the the, the square. You know. The sad creep, sack, sad sack, square cop, you know, as if the game players are that cool. I mean, come on. Um, I just they, really he should be in the 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 you know camaraderie of of, of like you know happy nerdiness. They, they, he shouldn't be like beyond the pale somehow because he's got a little poodle and he's recently bereft of his wife i mean you know
0: we should add that that dog has had a big year because it's the same dog that starred in widows as viola davis's pet dog yes
3: and that and that's actually one of the best scenes in widows yes that twist yes
0: it's a very important the dog plays a pivotal role in widows does and uh less so in game night but still a very important Factor. Yeah, more
3: do, passive in game night. Yeah. Does the dog only choose roles where there are major twists halfway through the film? I
0: mean, seems like a little bit of a diva maybe. Like yeah. she really wants to be important. To the What's world. her name? Oh, God. I think it's Olivia. I believe the dog's name is Olivia.
1: Wow. You, you,
3: you didn't I, even I, have to look I that up. I do
0: my research. <laughs> we should have a
1: pooches podcast.
3: Yeah, that's true. Why haven't we had a pooches podcast? I can bring my dog on.
1: Yeah. She doesn't make any noise. so You'll have to take my word that she's sitting there. <laughs> Well, all right, now we already got something new scheduled. I always like to do two work pieces of work at once. Um, all right, so Pooch's Podcast, look for that. Oh, I was going to talk about a couple other movies as well. Spy Who Dumped Me, um, you know, also funny, kind of same joke over and over again, but still funny. I understand there are ideological objections to it because they're treated like they're bewildered by having to be spies, and it's it's beyond their their ken as just normal gals. Um I don't know. I feel like there have been also enough like normal guys who have been totally, you know, overwhelmed by their sudden espionage duties in movies <laughs> um, or other such things. Game night, for example. You know, they're all yeah, kind of... Yeah. There you go. It's kind neutral. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I thought a lot of it was funny. A lot of sort of friendship-based um, um, gags and, and and jokes. There's a really good scene in there where they're about to be tortured by some former disgruntled gymnast turned international torturer. Um, and they try to throw her off her game by trading secrets they know about each other. <laughs> um, the, the the two main characters um, played by...
0: Mila Kunis? Kate uh,
1: McKinnon. I don't know. And also, that I don't know. I thought that was a pretty kind of genius uh, scene. And Tag, I guess I also liked for the vows of friendship it celebrated. <laughs> because it's a movie that's... so I mean, there's a movie that really like... Another game movie, oddly... Um, it's about this group of friends who have been playing this game of tag for their whole lives, and extending to like, you know, one of them's like a CEO, and another, one, you know, um, I don't know. So uh, they all have jobs and lives, but they're still trying to surprise each other with tag. And um, I, I, there really was not much to this movie. It really wasn't this, uh, a lot of sort of humor that I was particularly. But I just there was just something about like it's. Yeah, just the quality of friendship that they had, <laughs> as stupid as it was, it was. I don't know. I don't know what Can it was. I
3: just add? I have not seen Tag, but the concept of it, when I heard about it, I was so, I was just slightly miffed because it was, it was, it seems like a ripoff from this Saturday Night Live skit from the early 80s. Do you remember the skit with James Belushi? So I'm talking about the 80s. <laughs> in which there's this epic game of tag played between friends that goes over a course of years and people are crawling into each other's bedrooms at night and <laughs> it becomes this, it, it's hilariously no. elongated. And so no. when I heard this movie, I thought I hope that they give proper credit where it's due.
1: Oh, well no, I I, I forgot about that That's that skit. What they give credit to at the end with some footage is an actual group of friends who had this game of I, tag. Tyler, you're nodding. Perhaps you have a game of tag that you have. I, I don't. I, I, was, like, I
2: wasn't sure if it was true I, and I, I in the effort to not like appear insane i was going to say that i thought it was based on like a real group of friends yeah it is um, and it shows
1: him at the end executing a couple of tags even in its grainy footage yeah <laughs> um, yeah sounds so moving so a tribute to the human spirit of endurance and friendship tag <laughs> well i think that's that's our first part so we should all take a rest and uh we'll come back right after these messages
0: in a very special live stream event that took place on November 27th, Black Panther director Ryan Coogler sat down with Film Comment editor-in-chief Nicholas Rapold for a wide-ranging conversation. This one-night-only free screening and talk, presented by Film Comment and supported by Art House Convergence, offered audiences the chance to experience the acclaimed film on the big screen with their local communities. Watch the entire conversation with Coogler at filmcomment.com slash Black Panther.
1: And we're back for the second part of of our rest of 2018 podcast. More movies to talk about. We're here to talk about them. They're not on lists that we published, but they might have been on other lists. Maybe they were on no lists. At any rate, we have a lot to say. Who wants to start saying those things that we have a lot of to say?
0: i just got so much to say. I'm just going to jump right in. Good. Um, Very good, Maddie. I I liked a lot of movies this year. Uh, And since we haven't talked about any non-American films yet in this conversation, I thought I would start with uh, a favorite of mine, another another one that I saw early in the year, uh, Lover for a Day by Philippe Garrel, which was featured in 2017's New York Film Festival. Yeah, it was last year. So that's yeah, right. but it was not released theatrically until the beginning of 2018. So I, uh, when I finally saw it, it was during its theatrical release. It is a, another very small scale film, um, really centers around three characters. Um, a father who is a philosophy professor, I believe at a, at a Paris university, his daughter who lives with him. She's in her mid twenties, roughly early to mid twenties. And his daughter's friend who uh, it, Becomes clear pretty quickly is engaged in a relationship with the father character. And so they are sort of this kind of a love triangle. It's a father and a daughter, and the daughter's friend who's dating the father. And it's sort of just about the intricate inner workings of their respective relationships. And it's an extremely French movie. Just, you know, if you could think of every stereotype of a French movie this this one has it it's in black and white and it's it's all in paris it's a beautiful uh rendering of paris um in sort of glimpses on the edges of this personal drama um and i don't have any earth-shattering insights to report about it but i i loved it i i just i it's short i think it's under 80 minutes and it's just a delicious little amuse-bouche
3: what did you think of his son's recent amuse-bouche from this year's new york Film festival
0: yes a faithful man directed by louis garel i also really liked that one um that one is and in some ways that is uh also a, a romantic triangle of sorts um in in different ways than lover for a day is but so, sort of a, a a reworking of very similar themes, and I'm a sucker for that whole genre of of films, especially when they're French. And so I uh, <laughs> I just eat it up. Um, but I, uh, what can I say?
1: About about which one, the Louis Garrel or the?
0: I'll focus the on I'll focus on the Philippe Garrels Gurel, <laughs> since we're.
3: I I interrupted with the Louis Garrel. Nobody wants to talk about the Louis Garrel. I think
0: it's getting released in 2019, so technically it's off oh, limits. Right. That's true. But uh, <laughs> stop the podcast. So, yeah. Oops. But um, I would recommend seeking out Lover for a day, if that. And you know, you know, if that sort of movie is going to be up your alley, it's it's right. you know, in, it's a certain kind of French melodrama farce. Balancing act that is uh, you know what you're getting into when you when you get into it
3: yeah I feel like Grell so frequently has these re- of recent years he has these kind of small scale relationship movies often in black and white often short films that it, it, they t- they do tend to get kind of lost in conversation almost almost like Hong Seng Su films yeah. right like so many come around and they 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 go down so easy that right. it, it's they're easy to dismiss perhaps. Like this was yeah. but the the day after was a movie that I almost talked about uh, on this podcast mm-hmm. as I thought one of the strongest films of um, 2018 technically. also f- yeah. 2017 New York Film Festival got released in 2018 um, and just um I, I thought it really crystallized so much of what Hong's about, which is kind of like lover for a Day to a certain extent.
0: Yeah. Just what does it mean to be a human and to love other humans? That's all.
1: That's all anything should be yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I I think my um I mean it's it's really too bad that movies like that get lost, you know, from from the beginning of the year or when there's a delay making its way from from festivals to the screen. And yeah, both both um Lover for a Day and the Day After and I mean maybe I could segue to what I'm talking about because it's kind of the same situation I realized when I look at look at the um other films for for this second half. I mean, well, one is Tay, which Um, I I saw in Locarno in 2017 and then it wend its way into theaters, I think this summer, maybe. Um, I don't know that it made that much of an impact, to be honest. Um, And I think, yeah, the New York Times review was, I think you could sum up with, just like he wasn't buying it, <laughs> uh, basically. But it's, it's a Dominican feature, and there have been a, a lot of those that have had much of it, like an international pref- profile, festival, except for like Los Carpinteros, I guess was another one. Um, and it's about a gardener who's coming uh, back from working with a family, a rich family. He, he's coming back to his hometown, um, and there's there's been a, a murder there's just such a like a formal um, adventurousness and richness to it. And just a real, almost like violence in the form to go with the violence that that's at its heart. And they're just sequences. Like there's a religious ceremony sequence towards the end. That's, you know, just kind of mind blowing. And, you know, you could say some of it's kind of showy, but I, uh, you know, when he's just pulling out all the stops and trying all sorts of different things, you know, like 360 degree pans and, and all that, all that sort of thing, or, you know, um, I, I I think it's it's just more invigorating than most most else I I had seen. But that's also definitely movie like, just sort of disappeared. I mean, <laughs> you know, it made its way from the wormhole from festival to theater and then just sort of evaporated. Um, but you know, thanks to. Grasshopper for at least <laughs> getting it out in the world, and then I won't talk about them because I don't want to have more films than other people do. Because I already just did a trio, but Custody was kind of oh, another yeah. film like that, um, just a really good and wrenching like domestic th- dramatic thriller uh, about a woman you know who has an abusive husband, and it's about the custody of the kid.
0: And that one was a continuation of a short that was o- nominated for an Oscar a couple years ago. Oh wow! By the same director, same cast. Same family that it's chronicling.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's that one reminded me of a bit of a ref, refugiado, or refu, refugado, which is, a, I guess, an Argentine thriller from a few years back um, about a woman fleeing an abusive husband with her son, and just yeah, getting the the really palpable fear and just the intractability of this situation that that there's it feels like there's no way you can you can get out unscathed, you know, which is like. You know, it makes you feel like horror movies are or half of them are about that feeling and, and this is a real custody drama. At the same time, because it sounds so mundane, maybe that didn't really like keep it on people's radar um as much.
0: It was in uh it was in Rendezvous this year. So
1: rendezvous. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Like those those two smaller films, I think.
3: Custody was so Loved and so well-reviewed when it came out that I'm actually surprised that I haven't seen it on more year-end lists. It seems like it was just kind of unanimously praised. It's it's weird why certain films end up as consensus picks at the end of the year and other films Mm -hmm. don't. I do wonder if with that film it has something to do with a resistance to character-driven narratives, narrative stories. I
0: think it's the subject matter. It's just so relentless, the sort of grimness of it. Personally, I mean, I I think it's a great film, but I think it's also, you know, it doesn't surprise me that it's not getting people excited because it's great in a way that is really emotionally taxing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it has this weird combination of being like really intense, but also sounding kind of conventional or, or, you know, TV drama, TV TV movie-ish and Yeah. But you you would want more movies like, like Custody. So those are my, my other rest
3: ofs. I'm jumping back to my larger scale movie. We're going up and down. I feel like there this, this should be some sort of a seismograph chart about this conversation. Ready Player One, directed by a little known filmmaker named Steven Spielberg. Um, little Stevie I, Spielberg. <laughs> I feel like the last couple of years, maybe cinephile culture turned, or turned its back on him a little bit. Like he, he goes... He has, you know, waves with how the uh, the movie literati treat him. You know, he came off a great period in the early aughts. I think most people with brains now agree that AI Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, War of the Worlds is kind of like a peak, um, maybe like an intellectual peak for his filmmaking. And I think... And Lincoln, I think everyone kind of agreed, was like a, a, a movie worth wrestling with. The very kind of um, surprisingly mature vision with a great script, of course. For some reason, The Post and Ready Player One have been seen as some as sort of like um, too conventional in some way, whereas I don't see either of them as conventional at all. I think they're actually really multi layered, interesting films. Ready Player One, being much less of a prestige film, seems to have really kind of fallen by the wayside for a lot of people, but I I thought it was just, every frame is such a teeming mass of stuff that it would, you'd have to be an actual cinematic genius to make sense of any of it. And I found it to be visually coherent beginning to end, which is extraordinary. Um, Like you were talking about Mission Impossible as like, you know, following the lines of action clearly and how rare that is. Ready Player One is able to do that. And every frame is insanely overburdened with junk and detritus. And I was just watching it again the other day just to kind of make sure that I remembered it correctly, that I wasn't having some sort of a strange reaction in the theater, just kind of being too overwhelmed by it and amazed by it. But I watched it again at home just to see if it all still kind of held up visually. And it really does. I mean, there's that early car chase scene that, where you always know where you are and it's so chaotic, I, I I you know I don't know what else to say other than like only someone who's been making dazzling images for forty years knows how to put a scene like that together, where he's like you know racing across this New York skyline um, bridge surrounded by there's a T Rex there's King Kong coming out of the side to try to like basically you know eat his car and there's motorcycles on either side and there's a DeLorean over there and there's seven thousand vehicles and you you're always centered in the frame and um, it's quite extraordinary. And then, you know, on top of that, I actually found the, 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 the vision of the film sort of um, progressive and rewarding. Like it, it really is one of the few Hollywood films that kind of has kind of a a clear eyed view of, gamer culture, perhaps, and it could have been a moralizing film, and it doesn't feel that way. It feels like it's it, it it really cares about where we are now and where we might be going as a society. And I don't know. Everything about it just was enchanting to me. I felt like it it has this, like, Willy Wonka narrative that yeah. I found actually
2: really involving. I like, sort of had that, like, impulse to see it again just because I have so many images that were overwhelming. The first time around, Um, definitely the 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 chase sequence and the sequence in the Overlook Hotel certainly stand out. Oh, I was going to stand out, but like the the end, I always kind of go back to the end of the film, which really strikes me as like a very bleak ending, Mm -hmm. like in the same way that like like Okja is Mm -hmm. like a sort of that falsely positive note where one creature Mm. is saved but really there's a truly terrible situation going on in the sense that like we have this um reliance at the end on that kind of system of vr but the slightly positive note is that there are two weeks where the system is turned off i don't know it it (laughs) was very bleak and like kind of troubled me
3: spielberg's sort of the king of the Um, deceptively cheerful close encounters close (laughs) encounters of course Um, I mean AI as (laughs) perhaps most famously yeah yeah, I I, know I agree with you I think that there's such pleasure such pure visual pleasure and the movie is, is constructed to be like candy and like to feed its audience these pop culture references that you kind of forget what you're watching is actually about this like dystopic impoverished future where people are stacked atop one another in this like really weird columbus, columbus ohio <laughs> it's a really odd vision and um and yeah even from the very beginning when you're just looking through the different windows of the houses where everyone's you know in goggles and strapped into their gear and living these kind of false alternative lives it really um i don't know it was really getting to me there was something and so and and <clears> i'm glad you wrote up of the 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 shining sequence because that's just I, I don't think there, I don't know if there was a scene in, in the movies this year that just give me more of like kind of like. Kick right where I, right where I live, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, sure. You, you, It's maybe it was pandering. A lot of people who didn't like the film thought it was like pandering to to, yeah. to various pop cultural um, signifiers and people who who just would get the references. I think it like pushes that to such an extreme that it doesn't even. I, how could it be recognizable as that after a while if you're just l- l- cluttering the frame up so much with every possible thing that you've you've gone past sanity you've gone to someplace truly dystopic
0: yeah the, the excess is saying something it's like dude it's doing work well, have, were you guys are you guys fans of the books because i've i've neither read the book nor seen the film i, I nope. picked
3: up the book and looked at it and read a couple pages and was not taken with the way it was written so i put it down again and thought spielberg <laughs> will sort this out
1: yeah i haven't read it either i really agree with everything everyone's saying i mean the the uh it was a bummer i mean the the um from the, the opening, because I, I personally believe that's where we're headed. <laughs> you know, people distracting themselves with ever better and ever cheaper, you know, VR technology while around them, the world becomes irrelevant, <clears throat> you know. Um, although in a way, maybe um, idiocracy has kind of already covered this with the uh, the TV throne that you, that you sit on where you don't even have to leave to go to the bathroom. And... Um, yeah, and then the, the the action continuity. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like, there's a there's like a, a dance sequence in midair that would be just a total hash in like any other hands. But I can only imagine that he was he would was watching like all the CGI assemblage and composition and processing like a hawk because that must be the only way that you can actually mm. make that sort of thing still still work. Um, and then there was one other thing. Oh, the pop culture references. Um, I guess I kind of tune out at a certain point because there seems to be just a certain um span of pop culture references that is allowed in a large studio movie and and it's you know it's it's gotten kind of absurd if you think about it for for even a second you know like um I don't know like for example where was Let's say hip-hop or something you know like an enormous part of like pop culture not that I'm some sort of you know hip hip-hop ma- maven or something but but that it's just bizarre to see like a whole stretch which I guess has you know who owns what what conglomerate this interesting mo- in itself yeah this movie that. was made under yeah so you realize that you're already looking at this the world through certain goggles you know of, of um, but that's something that that does get me because you are kind of looking at like a received bunch of pop culture mm-hmm. references that maybe aren't the ones that all of us actually have in this room as, as our main touchstones, you know, um, but are the ones that either Spielberg or, you know, whoever, whoever is, is adapting it and, and they feel dated, you know, I don't know. That was, now that I got myself up into a, a froth about it a bit, I guess that was the thing that kind of, kind of bugged me because that does erase also a, a certain amount of culture history. I don't know. I think uh, there was something about putting Kubrick.
3: I would say maybe the most commodified of the Kubrick films at this point. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm just saying that without thinking too much. Probably um, putting that alongside, you know, Mario Brothers and I'm trying to think of what 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 was it? The, the Stay Puff Marshmallow. What was in that movie? <laughs> I'm just thinking like <laughs> everything was in that movie. Um, you know, Donkey Kong. Whatever. There, there was something about that where it became incredibly self-aware yeah. um, and, and moving to me, especially yes. Okay. You could say like Spielberg was just, he wanted to um, pay homage to his friend Kubrick and the shining was filmed on the same you know, on the set next to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So there's, there's like the, there's kind of like the film geek homage thing, but I think it goes past that because the shining being this kind of um, agreed upon popular culture art object and a fetish object to a certain extent um, that's, Everybody probably, I would think, acknowledges as a once considered difficult art film that's now completely recouped as a pop culture object that everyone just like knows the references and loves and watches like it's a, you know, like yeah. your average Friday night horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The way, the way Radio Player One kind of takes that and makes it into a video game, I think is very knowing and very interesting yeah. and in itself becomes like a commentary on how we how we imbibe pop culture and how things are kind of chewed up and spit back out. And I was, that was the scene where, like, I was really impressed with the filmmaking and the action sequence. But when The Shining sequence came on, the whole movie just crystallized for me. Yeah. I was
1: amazed. No, I think that sequence is is masterful. And and another thing where I don't know anyone else who could have, you know, quite pulled that off without making it, like, too conceptual or too or kind of disposable.
2: What you said does remind me, like, it being dated... Or the sort of the images it it culls, or the, the era it calls from, is like very much the '80s. But is the, does the film explain that? It, as far as like not accounting for the lack of culture or cultural symbols or mm. images of,
3: I think post apocalyptic. I think it I mean, makes. I think it, I don't remember what they are, but I think it makes gestures by putting in a couple. More okay. recent things, okay. but for the most part, I just took that as it being kind of drenched in a certain, yeah, in a certain generation's nostalgia, and and very much Spielberg referencing himself in his own era. But I think I don't think it was exclusively that.
2: But I, I, well, I guess that decade would be treated in, as a kind of sacred era, as far as like gaming, because that's when like sort of that took mm-hmm. off, and like what is it? The final sequence, not to spoil right. the film, involves a classic arcade game.
1: Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I right. guess it's kind of like. Somehow part of the mythology that they're referencing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see that. It's well, I don't know. It's it's just strange that like you, you I, I don't know. A lot of like in the '80s, you know, you, you kind of could in the '80s, in turn, you could feel like you you were reliving people's like the, the the hobby TV viewing that people had, you know, who were boomers, you know. <laughs> so now you watch and like Joe Dante being obsessed, you know, with. Or even Spielberg, you know, going back to serials or something. These things that you even forget are references, you know. So you're like you're living you're living someone else's memories <laughs> without even realizing it. I don't know.
3: Well, that's an interesting and it's an interesting way to tie it into um, my other film, Bisbee. Oh, <laughs> <This yeah>. <laughs> Not that yeah. those films would ever be talked together, but there's so much about memory and cultural cultural memory and legacy and how things either do or don't have primary sources. Um, Bisbee is very much about an event that has been forgotten because it was never documented and there's no actual textual or there's no evidence uh, of, of it ever taking place. Whereas like Ready Player One is like the kind of the horror of the exact opposite where everything's always <laughs> being recorded at all times and it's just bearing down on you until you're, you 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 know you lose your humanity in a different way. You can lose your humanity with too much information, too little information. Yeah.
1: No, it's kind of terrifying when you put it that way. Yeah, just the idea of of the the Bisbee memory, yeah, being being lost and everything else being omnipresent.
2: Okay, I'll guess I'll talk about the the second film that I quite liked this year that were didn't appear on many lists or our list, the film comment list, uh, was uh Cornelius Infinite Football, um, which um, I really enjoyed and it, it has stayed with me. Um, I sort of went into it knowing that I really like, or generally like, *Hornboyu*. And uh, as it starts, it sort of strikes you immediately as a kind of unassuming film, and I wasn't sure if I would even quite engage with the subject matter too much because I, it is about football on the surface, um, and I don't watch football or soccer, really any sports at all. But I think the film it shakes um, shapes up to being like a very funny, peculiar. Uh, melancholic sort of look at the kind of frustrating process of experiencing regret and loss. It, it's sort of a portrait of this civil servant uh, in Romania who, the film begins, he's talking to Pornboyu about this accident he had as a kid playing football. Uh, he had a leg injury that sort of, he claims, really affected his life uh, in, a, in a huge way. He was not really able to uh, continue to play football. He wasn't able to even study forestry because uh, it required running. The course required running at one point, and he was just unable mm-hmm. to run. And so as this as this kind of reaction to it, he has this these problems that he has with so- uh, football itself, the rules and the, or the norms of, of football. And so he is then now constantly rewriting the rules to fix the game, so to speak. And it ends up being very funny because, on one hand, because he's he just keeps imposing even more rules, uh, throughout the game that are, are sometimes like really like leave me scratching my head. And sometimes even I, I knew that it was like very, uh, they're very like idiosyncratic or peculiar, uh, rules, even not having followed many soccer or football matches, but I don't know. It it also ends up becoming this portrait of, the, of a kind of person who, uh, is constantly, uh, sort of, a a kind of victim of these, these forces of nature or accidents. Like he brings up this moment in the film about how he had planned to go to America to start a new life. And it was sort of shortly before um, he planned on going you know, the 9-11 attack occurred and it, he said it completely affected his trip and therefore his life. And yeah, it, 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 I think it's a really memorable film about it. a kind of, a kind of dreamer who is, is constantly working at a certain kind of task that is, I guess uh Sisyphian, or something
3: mm. like that. Yeah. Um, I I haven't seen the film. I, I was mentioning to you earlier that it's because I I'm not a sports watcher either for the most part, and certainly not soccer. So the 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 idea of a movie that's all about the rules of sports <laughs> sounded incredibly daunting and uh, maddening to me. But also maybe it pushes hearing you talk about it, maybe it pushes it so far in the other direction that it attains a kind of legibility <laughs> for yeah, for I, someone I, like me. <laughs>
2: I personally speaking, I think it absolutely works for someone who doesn't quite follow sports really at all. And, and I mean, and there there are more sequences in the film that, that go beyond simply talking about the sport. Um, you sort of get a glimpse into his life. Uh, in, in fact, like the actual routine, the very really banal routine of being a civil servant when he at, at sort of, as far as the film is concerned, sort of spontaneously, these two people show up in his office and sort of confront him with, I think, something that he, I guess, has to deal with essentially daily. Um, and so it gives us a glimpse into that that kind of life, and, and he sort of treats his life as a civil servant, and um, and his side gig kind to revolutionize this sport um, as like that of a, a superhero with a secret identity. And he says it in the film, and like, <laughs> I think that's sort of how he envisions it, I think. I, I, it doesn't strike me as him being ironic in the film, but... I don't know, has anyone else seen it? It's, I, I, yeah. I mean,
3: I've seen, I think I've seen most of the other Pornboya films, and I do like them. He, it sounds like it fits nicely into, into his yeah, overall yeah. project, yeah. where he's kind of zeroing in on um, something in ter- something, something uh, like a detail or something like very meticulous kind of deconstruction of a particular thing—a police adjective or twelve use yeah. of Bucharest. Where um, it’s either about language or the time of day, and getting the details and facts and rules exactly right, or we’re all lost. And I, I always find that sort of um, interesting. Tough. It can be tough, yeah. but I like his films a
2: lot. Yeah, and and I guess it’s actually like a. Something to say about uh, conveying this guy, describing his very peculiar set of rules and also the rules of his uh, sort of imaginary game, clearly and very lucidly that someone like me can sort of understand even this guy's game's logic is pretty remarkable. Another game night. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tag. Tag. <laughs> um, well, I guess, have we all run through all our movies
0: then?
3: I think so, though I wouldn't mind giving a shout-out to a couple other titles. Yes, please. Been sorely overlooked. Shout. I, I was disappointed by how little people seem to care about Lean on Pete, Andrew Hayes' um, follow-up to 45 Years. I'm a big fan of Weekend. I love Weekend. As I know you are, Maddie. Yes. Um, and I like 45 Years a lot, and Lean on Pete was a very interesting film. Uh, I wrote about it and in, in the Toronto coverage from phone comment yes. last, last year. I guess, well, wow. 2017,
1: 2017.
3: And we're it, okay. all dying.
1: <laughs> and on that note. Wow. Um, and, <laughs> I mean getting old, sorry. I meant to say getting old. And um,
3: <laughs> it came out in like April, I think, of this year. A24 released it, but it just sort of disappeared. I think people, because of the title, the title, Lean on Pete, is the name of the whole... Race horse that yeah. this boy befriends but it's really not a horse movie no. it's not about animal friendship it's about poverty and a dis- severely dysfunctional family and being lost in america and it's very tough stuff and anyone who went expecting him like a you know black stallion or something would have been kind of horrified by it i thought it was very moving i also really liked 24 frames kira stami's last film which um, has the best possible use of an Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber ballad that you could possibly imagine? <laughs> oh, yeah. Walking out of the theater in that. tears because of this treacly Andrew Lloyd Webber ballad. Which yeah. Ballad is it? Love Never Dies. Oh. It's the last, the, the the last of the frames. don't have twenty four frames. Um, is set to the entirety of Love Never Dies, which is the sequel to
1: Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> that has never, I don't believe, has ever come to the U.S. Wow. It's funny about the Lean on Pete title. uh, Any other movies that had bad titles this year that led them to probably not being considered? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Tag. Tag, yeah. You know, I'm sure Tag would have been right up there on people's lists. It's direct,
3: but I, I have to say, like, I'm a huge fan of Life and Nothing More. Yeah, me too. Huge fan. I do not care for the title yeah
1: that might that's that's a good example too i have to say again of course being a lover of that film yeah i don't know and well first of all i guess it's kind of was used already like bertrand tavernier had a movie Mm -hmm. that was very similarly and there's life and nothing but life and nothing but there's a lot of movies with that
3: not only is it overused but it doesn't in the case of this film i don't think it conveys very much
0: yeah it's a little bit of an empty
3: It, it name well it sort of like describes the it tells you it's a realist film. Right, right. Which it tells is, you
0: what kind of movie it is. It doesn't tell you what it is.
3: Right. 24 frames, very misleading. <laughs> misleading.
1: Definitely. There's some other one that's on the tip of my tongue that I can't remember, but because it's a bad title, that's why I can't remember it. Right. Right. I guess I should... Before we finish, just say that we have actually been recording this on a plane the entire time. I just want to be open about that. We're about to land. We're about to land. So we're going to fly into
0: 2019. We are going
1: to fly into 2019. So we have to wrap up. But uh, I want to thank all of our participants very much for a wonderful discussion.
0: Thank Thank you. Thank you.
1: And happy new year. Happy viewing. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.